Bedian. I'm originally from Beirut, Lebanon. 30 years ago, I came to further my education. So before coming, I, uh, had, uh, I got my first master's from Neary School of Theology. And then when I came, I got my second and third master's, my doctorate degree, and I was ordained as PCUSA uh, Minister of the Word and Sacrament. And three years ago, I visited Lebanon with my mother, and uh, I had to bring the message of Christmas to Neary School of Theology, student body, and you know, the community around. And I overheard two female students talking to each other and saying, she's one of us. <laughs> and uh, she speaks Armenian and Arabic. <laughs> and she's a doctor too. Uh, and I just started, uh, I mean, as if God used that to nudge me and say, Lucy, now that you retired from the military as a chaplain, don't you think it's time for you to go back? I mean, my first reaction was, God, you're kidding me. I'm not hearing you right. Uh, but then it started to work on my heart and say, Lucy, when was the first time that you came across female minister? It was PCUSA, missionary educator, Reverend Farr. And then she said, if I used Reverend Farr in your life 30 plus years ago, uh, don't you think I can use you uh, or aren't you ready to be used and go back? And I just started saying, no. I mean, my mom is <coughs> seven years old. She lives with me. And she has lots of medical challenges, so she needs, uh, you know, medical care. And in Lebanon, we don't have. Then uh, the argument was, do you think I can take care of your mom, or you're the one who has to take care of her? So it seems all the arguments failed. And uh, nine months ago, my mom and I, we went to Lebanon. And since my doctoral degree is in Christian education and nearest School of Theology, they needed someone in that department. So it was, it seemed to be the right match. And uh, since uh, I speak Arabic, Armenian, Turkish, so there are lots of uh, Syrian refugees in Lebanon. And with my military background and training to do, to work with uh, challenging environments and marginalized people. It has been great ministry working uh, with the refugee population, with those who hardly know how to read and write, and somehow to give them the message of so this is not going to be a statistics, what happens, but just think that you're going to be in Lebanon for half an hour or so. Okay, this is my house and boxes and boxes and boxes. So we have to ship everything to Lebanon. And this was maybe one of the biggest adventures in my life. 
because we get used to conflict. And I'm realizing that I have taken so much for granted. And now when you see some of the slides, you will uh, realize what I'm talking about. And Lebanon is very interesting uh, country. You can see a mosque next, next to a church and uh, people, neighbors working, helping each other. So although in the West, you hear that the Lebanese situation or the uprising is a religious one. In reality, it's not for uh, regular people. And the whole ministry that I'm in is how do we see individuals? And I use this as one of the exercises for teachers training uh, for refugee camp teachers. And the exercise was each group had a plate of different kinds of apples. Mm. And then I said, just think that these apples are your students. What can you do with them, with the differences? And some, they started to peel so that, uh, you know, the rotten part doesn't show. Um, it was very interesting experience for them. And then I said, you know, if I'm a red apple, I don't want to lose my identity and be peeled. So the whole point was, God sees in what in each one of those that we're encountering a perfect star. <laughs> and it doesn't matter what is the appearance, the color, but in each one there is the perfect apple, perfect star. And the difference between this beautiful apple that's not broken and this is that there is life and possibilities because it's broken. Now the seeds are exposed. And as uh, care providers for those who are hurting, in a way, all of us are broken when we see their hurt. And do we welcome that and say, God, I don't like to be chopped in the middle, but if that's going to be used so that new hope, new life can come through our ministry, then am I ready to welcome that challenge? And lately, I don't know if you're following the news, the it has been five, six months now that there has been an outburst of people because there's so much injustice and leadership <coughs> is so rotten that uh, it's normal appearance uh, in the mornings to see lots of people blocking the roads and uh, making a human chain to protest and say enough is enough. And you can never imagine, like um, my household goods, 
arrived in, on September the 18th. And here I had gone to the Lebanese embassy, had, uh, you know, the list of every box that I'm shipping uh, with the understanding that if it's used stuff, you don't pay tax on it. And in my case, I have dual citizenship. I'm Lebanese and I'm American. So supposedly the government is encouraging uh, those who are outside the country to come in. So uh, I went with the understanding I don't have to pay taxes there. And the bill was $6,250. <laughs> but I had a choice. Either I fight it through lawyers, which meant every day that my household goods are in the port, I have to pay $200. <laughs> then I had to pay for lawyers and all that. Or the other choice was I can ship it back. Man, what choices I had, <laughs> you know? So I had to pay $6,250. But if your salary is less than $350, and all of a sudden you're faced with something that they said, if it was before September, it would have been free. <laughs> uh, you know, so, uh, I mean, people are tired of these, uh, you know, rotten leadership. But ministry goes on. And uh, let's say it's a school setting. And the question that these kids have, are we going to have school tomorrow? Because if people get so upset and they start uh, you know, burning uh, things and the roads are blocked, then there's no school. So this is the environment. But at the same time, you know, someday kids have their programs. Uh, life goes on, but in a different uh, mindset. And different groups that I work with. And uh, I mean, uh, till the last minute, you're not sure whether you, were, you will have your program. It depends how many people were able to come. So that's how things are going down. Different packages of ministry. I never thought in the 21st century I can overhear a, a teenage girl who has just had her, you know, uh, menstrual period, let's say, and she's asking her aunt, now that I'm a grown-up woman, do I have to continue to go to school or I will be forced to get married? Because she is one mouth less to feed if she gets married. And I observed so many cases where the husband is much older than her father. Mm. And she's number, if she's number three, she's lucky because she could have been number four <laughs> wife. Because legally, a Muslim man can get married with four women. And uh, if you look at the passport, there is the male picture and next to it, 
there are four slots. Number one white, number one, two, three, four. So, and this was the question that this girl, 12 years old, had to ask her aunt, am I going to be allowed to go back to school? And in Lebanon, we have 1.5 million Syrian refugees. And uh, their uh, environment is so harsh. And uh, for 1,500 population, for 1,500, they might have one doctor. If that camp is really well supported. But at the same time, you can see uh, like kids singing and the elderly who are well-to-do, but their family has migrated and they are at retirement homes. So some of the things that we did was to bring some joy to different uh, organizations, uh, different homes. And this is the only camp for Palestinians that is Christian in Dubai. And that's why we have a ministry there. And for Christmas, we had over uh, 80 children who came to celebrate Christmas. This boarding school is in east of Beirut. It's called Anjar. This is where families who are going to hardship. Let's say father or mother is in jail and uh, either they are druggies or a very traumatic situation that they have to be sent to this Armenian boarding school. And just from uh, the outside, when you see it, you know, the trash can bin, this and that, uh, I mean, you can't compare it with our institutions here. And uh, things are very different and their stories are different. One of the girls here, I will share her story. Now she is five years plus. When she was four and a half years ago, the social worker, who's a very good friend of mine, she was informed that she has to go to X house and save a little girl. So she goes with her, you know, uh, files and all to find out what's going on. And she said, when I went in, it felt different. I mean, every wall that I looked at, there were big, big mirrors and different colors of places. And I'm just saying, where am I here? And then um, a lady, early 20s, mid 20s, uh, she said, oh, you came to take uh, her with you? Take her, hurry up. And then she says, wait a second. I came and I heard that there's a little girl. Yes, she says, yes, she's the accident. I was new in my profession. I didn't know and she's an accident. Come and take her. Oh. 
And this little girl, she thought that her name was Helio. <laughs> because that was the only way she was mentioned. And for six months at this boarding school, she couldn't say a word. And it took six months for her to stop talking. And now she's a vibrant little girl, and she loves singing. And she knows I love music too. And whenever I go to that boarding school, she just grabs me and says, let's sing, let's dance. <laughs> so she didn't have an identity card or name. No, she has a name. Still, we're working to get an identity card for her, but she is safe. And I do lots of training for their teachers because in that boarding school, they have over 20 kids who are special needs. And I have special education as a background. So they are uh, really trying their best to educate, to provide for them. And uh, when uh, the first time I went there, the board members, they wanted to invite me for dinner. I said, no, no, I didn't come for you. I came for the children. So I want to be at their boarding school, eat with them. And it was so hard for me to see that their lunch was tabbouleh, Lebanese uh, salad with cracked wheat and fries. And for fruit, they had apples. And afterwards, I spoke with another friend who's a registered nurse working in that boarding school. I said, Nanor, protein. I mean, you know this kid, I mean, we have 12-year-old guys who needs some nourishment. She said, when you have only $2,500 equivalent money to feed 80 kids, then you have to make hard choices. And she said, lately, because the fuel is so expensive, we had to make a choice to turn the heat off at nights and then uh, just calculate how many kids are getting sick because of the cold and how much it's costing us to take them to the doctor. Whether that was more or giving them heat, which one? So uh, sometimes it's so hard when you're put in a situation that you don't want to turn any kid out, but when your uh, income and your budget is so limited, choices that you have make, that you have to make. And uh, that Sunday, it happened that their minister was out of the country for a training, and the one who was going to come to Anjar could not because the roads were closed and it was icy, and they knew that I was ordained minister. So I think I was the last choice, but they didn't have any choice left. 
So they asked me, uh, uh, Lucy, can you preach this Sunday? I said, since I'm here and the roads are blocked, I cannot go home. Yeah. I can preach. <laughs> but that was the international incident of that village. <laughs> A female Armenian lady is going to preach. And uh, that was quite interesting experience. Anjar. Uh, how it had been established that boarding school Years, years ago, a visionary lady from Switzerland, she had heard about an Armenian village, that their income is very limited, and then she has started, spearheaded that project. And one of her pet peeves has been, anyone who knocks the door, we will not refuse them based on their ethnicity, their religion, their color, everyone who knocks the door and needs our help, we will help. And almost 50 years ago, this lady from a remote area in Lebanon, her mother has said, I don't want her to be killed because we don't have enough food and sometimes that can put them outside in the cold and nature, she, she died. So the mother takes her to the Armenian boarding school and she gets education. And although she's, uh, she belongs to a tribe that are more called gypsies, they're not Lebanese, they're not Syrian, but they stay there intense and if uh, their life is really prosperous they might have a brick home so she's a mother of 11 nine of them are married 44 grandchildren <laughs> and many on the road so her home is open for bible study and I had the privilege of being invited there because uh, Uget Aad, uh, who has been a missionary for a long time and I used to work with her husband, she has taught in that village, uh, in those villages for over 20 years. So she was invited and part of that matriarchal home. And through her, I was another honored guest and they every Wednesday they have Bible studies for the women in the morning and at night men watch DVDs that are prepared specially for Muslims but they give the message of hope so before going definitely I had to have uh, you know cultural sensitivity like in Arabic we call Jesus Yasur but not for Muslims, because if you say Yeshua, then you're pushing Christianity on them. But you can call him Isa, because that is found in their Holy Quran, the name of Isa. 
So on uh, Wednesday morning, women over 25 and maybe 50% of them expecting to be uh, another month, uh, I mean a mother for another time. And the central uh, attraction is the heat. What's that silver, is that a light? This no, is right that here. is part of the heater. This is the heater. Right. The, looks like yeah, a stove. and here they fill the fuel. Oh, so it's not a wood stove. It's no, a, no, no, it's no. It's not. Ga carousel. Uh, carousel. Yeah, carousel. And because they had uh, honored guests, and at night they had to have the fuel going on, neighbors had to bring some fuel so that we can have heat at night. So what an honor to be invited to be part of them. And while I was teaching in the morning, I was surprised that the door was being open and closed. And I saw that, I mean, the class patriarch was there. And I'm saying, women are here. The patriarch is there. I mean, it's not kosher. <laughs> then around uh, 536, he came. He said, Madame. I said, dear, dear Lord, did I do something wrong? He said, I informed everyone who comes for the DVD that tonight we're not going to have DVD. We have a Madame, and she's going to teach us. <laughs> it's, I mean, uh, the meeting is at 7, it's almost 6. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, when the patriarch decides, but he saw that I was flabbergasted in a way. He looked at me, he said, I heard you. You have a message and we need to hear it. Then, so, uh, sorry, I'm yes. the patriarch? Yes. So the patriarch of, of, of that clan. Of that clan. Okay. He decided that I was okay and they had to right, hear cause me. Because they're men. Yeah, see, they're, yeah, you're, yeah. They're men so this group, is the women's group. This is the men's at night. Oh, a different time. Different time. But so they weren't there together. No, 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 no. Okay. So uh, it was a great honor, but I'm just thinking, dear Lord, what do you want me to teach them? You know, I'm a female, how can I be invisible but be heard at the same time? Mm -hmm. uh, and I just felt that I needed to talk about the prodigal son. And uh, I started with that story, and then I said, where do you think the patriarch has to sit? They said, at the back, inside, inside the tent. I said, but in this story, the patriarch is the one who saw the prodigal coming. He was the first one to see. Where do you think he was? He should have been outside, but that's not acceptable. You know, I said, this is what it's written <laughs> in the Injil. And then when he saw the sun, he ran. Man, that was something <laughs> that could not be accepted, period. 
said, that's not kosher. I mean, if he's the patriarch, he has people to serve him. And if it was important, he could have demanded, you know, his servants to go. But why? And then I said, you know, you know better the tradition than I, that if someone brings this honor to the family or to the tribe, what do they need to do? They need to stone him. <laughs> and then I said, can it be that this father, because he knew this, uh, the law, he was outside waiting so that if ever his son decides to come back, he's the first one to see him. And by running and embracing him, he challenged the law. And the villagers, and in a way, his action said, if you will st stone my son, the stone has to hit me first. Man, that hit something. I didn't know they practiced honor killing <laughs> in that tribe. And this man, who's a smaller family uh, head, it seems they have had an honor killing story yeah. in their family. And, but he said, Madame, that person brought disgrace. I said, you're right. But this patriarch believed in love more than love. And uh, then I said, let's act it out. And he was the father. His grandson was the prodigal. He embraced him. And uh, after the class, definitely we had coffee hours, drinking those strong coffee. Uh, I, mean, I don't know, each one had at least 10 or 12. Uh, <laughs> but then he said, you need to come back. We need to hear more about law and love. This sucks, now are famous. You know, I have a pair, these are my socks, okay? They don't match. And every time my mom sees them, she says, Lucy, this is going out, throw it away. <laughs> and I say, mom, under my boots, they are thick, they are really, you know, uh, they're nice. So, I didn't know that when I go to that uh, clan, everyone had to take their shoes. So at the entrance, everyone is taking their shoes off. I had my boots, it's the same boots. And all of a sudden I noticed that I had my mismatching socks. But there was nothing to do, you know, Everyone is around you. So with my dignity, I went in, I sat. But I was very self-conscious about it. You know, one has lace, the other doesn't. I mean, it's not that it's red and blue, but they don't match. 
And all of a sudden, I noticed something. I noticed that others, compared to others, mine was royal. <laughs> they had big holes, some toes were coming out. And you know what? Compared to the others, mine was just mismatching. But that was my entry to the clan, being one of them in their not so acceptable or honorable things that you have. And this was always an act of love. I mean, just imagine. 11 children, nine of them married, 44 grandchildren, and I mean, there was a pot like this, and the matriarch was cooking. It was something, uh, you know, like spinach soup. And for that much, there were two chicken legs. And being honored and in your plate to have a big chunk of that meat mm -hmm. was an act of sacrifice and love. People. Different, unhumane environments to live at, in. And part of what I do is train the teachers who are teaching those kids, who are coming from those tents. And very big part of what I do is, you know, to encourage them, because when you're dealing with the people in pain all the time, uh, secondary PTSD is a normal thing. Oh, sorry. These secular school teaching, when you say? Uh, no, uh, we have, uh, four years ago, we had seven uh, Christian elementary schools. Now we have only one, uh, five, and part of those uh, funding comes from PCUSA, five of them. And definitely trauma uh, is very big part of the training, or abuse sexual abuse. Who are these teachers? Are they local Syrians, uh, Lebanese? Uh, we have many of them are Lebanese because they have lost their jobs uh, and there, there is an opportunity and they love to serve. So, And these are the kids. And from their outfits, you know that lots of help is coming from the West. their outfits, and Neary School of Theology. Mm. And that's where my first encounter with PCUSA mission educators was, and Reverend Weir, Karen Weir, have been my educators. 
and the day that Ben Weir was kidnapped in Lebanon in 1986, uh, 85, um, I had a class with Carol Weir, mm -hmm. and she was late, and under shelling she would be in class. So we knew that something was wrong. And in her book, when it says that Christians were with them, so it was us. So life goes on at the seminary. And like when the Intifada, the new revolution of the people started, uh, there was lots of fear at NESD. So you know, baking is a thera therapeutic thing. So we started baking uh, classes for our students. So this is ministry in Lebanon. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Any questions for me? Because I think we have five minutes. Still. Oh, we're good. Yeah, I mean, where is your mother? My mother is in Lebanon now with uh, my aunt because I had to come uh, for speaking engagements and medical thing because uh, when I went, I went as a global PCUSA mission co-volunteer. Uh, and in November, I was dropped because there was not enough funds coming under my name. So uh, for medical care, I have to come here because with uh, being veteran in the military, yeah. I have free medical care here with the military. When are you heading back? I'm heading this Thursday. Sweet. Yes, sir. Can I asked you, uh, you mentioned at the very beginning the $6,200 they wanted to restore it from it. The government, that's so corrupt, do, does the same group pretty much control the government all the yes. time? And, and that's my what... Group, my group is that, that is, religiously, otherwise, ethically. If you're in leadership, you're corrupt, period. Christian, Muslim, doesn't make a difference. I was stunned about the Bedouin Bible study. Me too. It, it would have never, ever, ever happened. And that happened because there was a visionary missionary who said who uh, in Amjar, who was the uh, Sister Ludwig, who said that anyone who knocks our door, we will educate them. And now she has opened her house. Anyone who would have gone to that Bible study would have been killed in uh, my day and age. Okay, but if the head of the clan is the one who's inviting you, no one can oppose it. How do you use your musical skills in your teaching? Uh, if there's uh, I do lots of uh, expressing yourself through art. So at places that we don't have piano, then you know there might be pots and pens. We can draw.
Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.